You're listening to Rosie on the House. Come on around back, Arizona. It is the second Saturday of the month. We are talking trees. Mr. Eisenhower, you shaved. (laughs) (laughs) I did not. I did not. Not this morning. Not this morning. We've got uh, John's, you're like his uh, right-hand man or his left-hand man? Right hand, man. right hand man, right hand, left hand man. In this morning, Mr. Stephen Price, you're uh, joining us today to talk trees, and y'all have a tree of the month to start us off with. And if you'd like to talk trees or join the conversation, it's one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight Rosie for you. Text questions can be sent to four one one nine two three, and you can email info at rosieonthehouse.com. We monitor those channels live during the broadcast. And if you've got a tree question, now's a great opportunity to get it answered. Awesome. Wonderful to be here. Um, It's just always exciting to come on the air uh, and share some uh, tree stuff with the community. And uh, we do have a special tree uh, this month that we're talking about that many of you probably haven't heard of, but it's called a Jamaican cherry tree. Uh, this is a small type tree that grows really well in the desert heat. Uh, it doesn't seem to be bothered by the intense sun. And uh, when temperatures are fa- favorable, these trees can go really, really fast. Uh, in fact, I've read that some people have seen them grow 8 feet to 14 feet even in the first year. Wow. Pretty rapid grower, yeah. Now, a lot of times the fast tr- growing trees are susceptible to a lot of damage and wind breakage and growing faster than they can support. Have you all seen that with the the Jamaican what? Jamaican cherry. Jamaican cherry. Yes, and uh, so that's a good, really good point. Any trees that grow really fast uh, need a lot more maintenance, especially in those early years. Um, but usually in the later years with good structural pruning, no problem. So this is one of those trees again. And when they get that fruit on them, which isn't really cherry-like, um, it's similar to a cranberry uh, in size and appearance, and mostly pink in color, but it is edible. So, uh, again, this is a tree we don't see very often, and I encourage people when we talk about, I call it an exotic tree or not a common tree, to look that up and check it out further online. There's a lot of great information. So if you look up the Jamaican cherry tree. And you said the fruit is more cranberry-like. Is it, so it's edible? It's edible, and it tastes a little bit like cotton candy. Uh, which is what makes this tree a lot of fun, you know, for kids and gardeners and people who want to plant and try something different. And how big will it ultimately get if it's growing 14 <laughs> feet a year? <laughs> you know what? I think that's yet to be found in our area. Um, but usually this tree, you you might see it around 15 feet. Oh, so it, it gets to its, its maturity size pretty quick? Yes. Very cool. So we've also got uh, the October here. Uh, what is our weekly to-dos? We actually do have callers on the line that we're working on screening. And you can jump on at one 767 4348 That's 1-888-ROSIE for you. Before we get to those, what, uh, let's knock a few of these to-dos off our list here. Okay, let's talk about the first one. October is a huge transition month in our area, okay? This is when we start really seeing the temperatures drop off, especially at night. 
We still may, be have, may have 90 to 100 degrees during the day, but there's these big temperature fluctuations, and we could see, you know, 50s, 60s at night. And uh, it's a time when most people pay no attention to their irrigation system, um, which is not good because that opens everything up to more, again, with those warm temperatures during the day. And you have this water sitting around the plants during the night. Uh, fun, fungi like Phytophthora can take off very quickly. The plants can become chlorotic very quickly. And as a matter of fact, I had two consultations this week, um, really nice homes and even pretty green thumb gardener people. But they're not monitoring their irrigation and their uh, their uh, regular gardeners are not. And they had a lot of problems with uh, chlorosis in the plants. Where the, And uh, you could see that they were starting to get peaked and the foliage was getting smaller. And uh, so on those consultations, occasionally we will, if they ask, take a look at the irrigation system and what the timers were set. And both were still set for watering every single day of the week. This is a time when you want to get in your controllers and make sure you're watering once or twice a week at the most for a good soak. Uh, keep an eye on the temperatures. If we have a heat spell, then, of course, you can provide an extra manual watering. Next point we're going to talk about is it's a great month. October, again, is the last fertilizer of the year. We have the early, mid, and late season fertilizer and this is fantastic for all plants, but especially all your non-native or desert-adapted plants to get that fertilizer down, fruit trees, citrus trees, uh, hibiscus, uh, any ornamentals, um, the stone fruits uh, especially. But you get that fertilizer down in there, and it actually translocates it push that, uh, stores those uh, nutrients and, and minerals and things that it needs down in the root system. So in the spring, when they uh, really come back to life, there's a lot of nutrients available for the tree to, to bloom and uh, grow vigorously. So it, very important. Start scheduling that. Also, of course, it's transi turf transition uh, month. And so, again, uh, there's transitions all over the valley, and the turf is another big one. You're going to see all the scalping. Um, done and the seeding done for that because when those temperatures get in the 60s at night, it's perfect for the germination. So and they are. Should this be morning was delicious perfect. walking oh, out. Oh my gosh, yeah. Excellent. Well, I'm going to pause you there and we're going to get to our calls real quick. And before we get back to more of our talking points for our to-dos this month, we've got Wade from Rio Verde joining the conversation. He wants to talk about citrus. Good morning, Wade. <clears throat> Uh, yes, my friend bought a house up there and uh, got about a dozen citrus, and there's a number of them that uh, have got um, shoots growing off of their branches, growing off of the rootstock. And I was wondering, is this a good time of year to uh, trim those or? Absolutely. You can, them? You, yeah, you can prune those off any time of the year. Um, my only thing would be to say if, if it has a hard west exposure, just be careful. But those suckers, um, those sucker sprouts really are supposed to come off, you know, pretty much whenever you see them when they come out of the rootstock. Those compete with the, the actual, the, the, the plant material that you want to keep, which is the, the main tree, the citrus tree. And so they suck nutrients and life and water uh, from what, where you actually want it to go. So pretty much any time, right. I, I would just say if they just raise the crown or something and it's a hard west exposure, maybe you want to do it a little slowly or... Um, um, you know, wait another couple weeks or so, but the sun is going down, the solstice is happening. So just keep an eye on that. Just watch that sunburn on the trunks, which is critical for citrus trees. 
Okay. Do the uh, should the cuts be coated with something or? No, they don't really need to be coated with anything here. Um, Arizona is okay. great um, because again we have very little rain. Um, but with all the rains last season, let me just say again that we've seen more phytophthora and fungi problems this year than in many years because of last season's the fall and winter rains that we had caused a lot of issues later in the summer. But usually, no, we don't have a lot of problems with pathogens uh, entering into the trees, so not usually a, a need to coat those at all. That's one you thing that, gosh, I'd say 20 years ago, a lot of people were doing that. They would carry around... Uh, paints and, yes. and every prune cut they make they would put a little dab over that cut thinking this is going to keep bugs out this is going to keep but but that has changed that's changed yeah it's still it well it changed and then it went back so again those old school guys sometimes <laughs> yeah. know what they're doing but but it went back more in the areas where there's a lot of problems with these uh like a lot of these spores are airborne and just or splash and and so they could spread real quickly into an open wound where you have problems with that. So if there's a known problem or you're in an area where, again, fungi and airborne or water spread pathogens are, are uh, prevalent, then maybe you would want to treat that and cover that up. But usually nature, boom, it has amazing compartmentalization trees do. They'll close that up, they'll harden off that wood, and they'll start protecting itself immediately. So if there's, if there's known issues, that's a time when you might consider putting something on it. All right. Hey, why don't you two guys take a bite of those cinnamon rolls? Awesome. <laughs> Je- Look at that. Jennifer just walked in here and says, Rosie, you have frosting on your nose. <laughs> I have frosting on my nose. Frosty I have frosting on the microphone. <laughs> and we had special guests show up at the station this morning. Our last staycation winners brought us homemade cinnamon rolls, nut-filled, icing-covered. I mean, these are fantastic. Oh, my gosh. Lots of icing, too, which I love. Lots of icing. <laughs> we just got to do it right. Oh, man. That, this, that, what time did y'all have to get up this morning to make this? 3.15. Oh, my goodness. Well, she did. I didn't. Yeah. Thank you, Miss Ginger. Really appreciate it. And y'all were our recent staycation winners that ran up to uh, Pine Top. Yes, that's correct. Uh, Pine Top and the uh, Buck Springs Lodge. And what what car did y'all pick off the Sanderson lot? We had a nice little F-150. Yeah? Four-wheel drive, four-door. I think it was fun. Oh, good. Good, good. Well, gosh, this the, these are absolutely delicious. I don't know what Miss Ginger does during the <laughs> regular day, but, man, she could, she could market these all day long anywhere. These are absolutely fabulous. I can't thank y'all enough. Well, thank you. For for taking the time to get up at 3.15 in the morning and cook some homemade cinnamon rolls and bring it down here to the station. It was all very worth it, though. Thank you for the for the trip. Oh, man. Well, and happy awesome. anniversary. Yes. That, that was last worked, month. worked out that it was kind of right in, in time with your anniversary. It did. It did. 41 years. So I know we're not, we're not old enough for that, but we've been around for a while. <laughs> well, congratulations. and glad you all enjoyed your trip up to Buck Screen. Buck Spring. Did y'all hear any elk bugling? No, we did not. Um, mm. Didn't see very very much wildlife at all. We had to chase down a couple of squirrels, but not much else. And y'all went over to the crawfish cookout. We did. Uh, just, I wanted to have a crawdad, but just couldn't quite hold it. <laughs> I, <don't, laughs> I don't think I could either. Yeah. 
but but Buck Springs Lodge, I used to go up there every year um, and stay there. Yeah, very cool little cozy place. It has that big center area yes. right up there. Yeah, yep. yeah, I love that. And the kids used to play, and yeah, very cool place. Talking trees at one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight one triple eight Rosie for you. I have a question. How much bark can be stripped off a mulberry before it uh, before it ultimately dies? A uh, horse <laughs> took off about a quarter of the bark. If you're looking at the circumference of the tree, oh about gosh. a quarter of it on the west side, and. Uh, we're hopeful that this, we actually call it our Jesus tree because it's resurrected multiple times. A, wow. a goat killed it the first time and the second time, and then it came back as a multi-trunk, and now a horse ate it. So even if it dies, we're hopeful it'll still come back. But it's the difference is the first two times it was small, so recovering back to where it was was real quick. Right. Well, this is like six or seven years old now, and it's about 25 feet tall, and we'd hate to start over again. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty sad. But trees, again, I'm going to say it over and over again, they're amazing compartmentalizers. They're, you know, how often have you seen? I was at uh, U of A, uh, yeah, U of A with one of my three daughters, different schools. And uh, <laughs> got to remember which one. Yeah, I got to remember which one. And, uh, and you know, I, I remember sticking my hand through the, the, the all the way through the trees, the citrus trees, the old ones on campus, you know, where there's big holes in them. They're just amazing. So, again, and mulberry is super hardy. That's why they planted them here. You know, they're obviously cause a lot of uh, allergy problems, but, heck, they are super hardy. So here's what I would say is that tree is going to start compartmentalizing that damage real quick. But, again, on the west side, uh, very, very bad for the bark tissue to get sun scold and deeper damage and decay. So I would try to wrap that for sure if you, you probably have, but get some cloth wrap and, and cover that up and protect that, you know, and not too tight, but not too loose, and, and give it some protection from the sun. That's the main thing. And what, uh, I didn't wrap it, but I did put that Go Natural tree paint okay, on it. That, I know John's not a big fan of the paint over wrapping, but second best I had thing, the paint. Though, <laughs> second best thing, yeah, I would say, absolutely. The paint's kind of neat. People don't forget that that paint, it um, it wears off um, over time, you know, the air and oxygen, so which is kind of cool. So it breaks down and allows a little bit of light penetration for kind of more naturally anyway. So really, really not a, a bad deal, but the second choice. And I guess that's it's interesting. I never thought of it that way, but you used to always see the paint as a white paint. Right. And, you know, that, that is sun protection. Right. And you could always tell when the white was fading. The Go Natural that's designed to blend into the tree, you don't notice that so much, right. <laughs> that fading. That's exactly right. And it's cool that, you know, you could have probably always used other colors, but white was the color of choice. Just the standard. It was the standard. Right. And, uh, and obviously in, in formal ornamental type neighborhoods, it was actually done also more for formality. You'd see all the citrus trees with the white paint and they would do it every year and keep them really nice and neat. And it just had that formal garden look to have the paint on them also it was more these were mature trees you'd see that all the time then later when it was more for for damage and people didn't like the white they started moving towards the more natural colors and you could really use kind of any color you want but the lighter colors reflect the heat you know white was also used because it's good reflective of heat and light 
Um, so it'd probably be the very best color, but the natural colors are fine, the earth tone colors. And I'm saying, depending on the amount of damage, it's good that the paint breaks down and goes away, maybe as it's healing. But if it's a lot of damage, you would want to recoat that every year, or depending on the side of the tree, if it's a lot of damage on that west side, really bad. So, so second best thing is is to go natural paint, but y'all would rather just like a burlap. Exactly type cloth yeah. tied around it absolutely and that way too you can you know every year you probably should take it off and check it and rewrap it you know if you in you know once you've checked it out and make sure nothing's going on underneath um, a lot of other you know issues pop up from sun scald damage so and don't wrap it or tie it so tight that the tree can't grow correct well i mean it, it'll still grow but it'll start you know, cutting into the bark and cutting off the... It could, yeah, it could. And plus, it just, uh, it just again, like if you were putting something on yourself, you don't want it so tight that um, it's causing other issues. Tree tape works really well, too. I have it wrapped around my ficus tree because it's got sun damage. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, tree excellent. tape. Tree tape, yeah. It's breathable. It looks like it looks like it's got a broken leg, but it works fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, they make tree tape, yes. Also, a couple more tips here. I wanted uh, one more. I want to make sure that it's a great time to prune uh, most all your trees still until they start dropping really, really heavy. The foliage, um, you know, if we if we get some really hot weather or a warm spell, you want to be careful. Um, and of course, for the frost sensitive plants, you want to be more careful, um, like the citrus and ficus and things like that. Again, was out the last couple of weeks. People want those things pruned. We do it real ni nice, natural crown, nothing real heavy until back to that spring, February to March. But absolutely keep the weight off. You can keep them nice. You can keep them looking good. Um, absolutely no problem. And we'll have a couple more of those after the news break. And if you'd like to talk trees, you can. Visit with Steve at one 767 4348 That's one rosy for you. We'll go through a couple text questions on the back side of the news break. One about planting a 24-inch uh, fan text ash tree. And we'll talk about proper ways to plant. Fall is premier time to yes, plant. Yes, it is. In the desert, uh, we don't often get hard freezes, and it gives the, the tree almost, uh, you know, a... a, a a really big head start before the next summer season. Yes. Not that we can't plant in the spring and in the summer, but this is the optimal time because we get that head start. Yes. It's amazing that uh, how, how warm the soil still stay in, you know, a, a couple inches underground. That earth, that earth's an incredible insulator. Absolutely. Absolutely it is. It's the second Saturday of the month. It's the 8 o'clock hour, so we're talking trees. It's a beautiful morning to be rocking. Maybe not in a wagon wheel, but rocking chair on the porch in the morning with a cup of coffee. I could go for that. Mm. Especially this morning when you woke up, you mentioned how cool it was. Yes. Oh, gosh. Again, fall's the best time in Arizona. I, that is the, the, the others are great, but that's the best time, guys. That's why we live here. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Texture uh, has a 24-inch box. They planted a Fantex ash about eight weeks ago, and they got it as a 24-inch box tree. It's on drip. There's a four-foot well, approximately uh, 
On the drip, they water it twice a week with 60 gallons each watering. Haven't fertilized yet, just some Super Thrive. I'm guessing that's a product. Super it is. Thrive. Yep. Okay. Yep. Uh, leaves are curling with brown ends and have lost some leaves. And then obviously just followed with a few question marks, wants to know what what to do to resolve. Okay. And this uh, this is a real common question and a real common consulting uh, issue that we deal with a lot. First, um, when I hear 60 gallons per watering twice a week, Maybe that's something a nursery or somebody told them to water it a certain way like that. But um, depending on the area, there's a couple different issues that could be going on. Number one, um, all new trees, especially a 15-gallon or a 24-inch box tree, most landscape drip systems are set up to have either two two two-gallon emitters or three two-gallon per hour emitters around that root ball and right over the root ball because it usually comes in a mulch and that mulch can dry out very very quickly. So with new trees, the drippers need to be right over the root ball. And uh, that's that first year or so, at least, you want the drippers right over the root ball. So 60 gallons twice a week, it sounds like, you know, too much watering and, and too infrequently for a new tree. So with that setup I just told you, with either 2 2-gallon two or 3 2-gallon, it really should be getting about 12 to 20 gallons per watering. But after you first planted it, it should have been more often. It should have been probably three times a week and not allowing that root ball to dry out at all and keeping that uh, soil just, just moist enough but not, but not over-soaked. So that's the number one thing I see is that the watering was way off for a brand new tree. And we did have some pretty warm weather there over the last few weeks. The second thing is every time I go on these consulting jobs, people have put the native soil over the root ball. So I go and there's two to four inches of backfill soil that went over the root ball thinking they're going to insulate that in or whatever, just not thinking. And they put the dirt over the actual mulch root ball that it was grown in. It's very critical that when you plant new trees, you plant them at grade or just above grade. They say about 10% above grade. That, that so, so it allows the tree room to settle over time because it's going to water and soak and that mulch is going to break down. It's going to decompose. So plant it properly and do not put a, a bunch of dirt over the top of the root ball because what happens is it, it does insulate the root ball and a lot of times it doesn't allow the moisture to go down in through the root ball. Instead, it fills up that native soil like a crust on the top layer and it may look wet. It may look like, hey, we're getting plenty of water here. But when you scrape that off, those two or three inches of dirt, and I just had a big one at a city park like this. There was four inches of extra dirt, and the trees were uh, getting really sickly, just like sounds exactly like yours are. And it was really critical that they get all that dirt off of there so they can see the actual mulch ball and monitor the water in the mulch ball that it's grown in. Those first couple years, the root system is just used to being in that mulch ball. So the water will wick around it through that top layer of dirt if you don't get rid of it, and it will not go all the way through the root ball. So it's critical when you're having problems like this to get a soil probe, get, make sure there's no dirt on top of the root ball first, get out of there, and then check with the soil probe down through the root ball and make sure what the moisture level is in there. It should be a little bit moist pretty much all the time for a new tree, but not over wet and not bone dry. A lot of times I see this in there bone dry. Second thing is when you push that down all the way, what we get sometimes in our soils is what we call the teacup effect. 
You planted in there. You sound like you did everything. You got this nice big hole. You got a four-foot ring. You did all that right. But maybe is the water, is there hard pan at the bottom, and the water is whole, is down there at the bottom and uh, causing uh, you know problems with too much water at the bottom of the pit because it takes time for it to go through. It might go through the mulch ball real quick if that's working, if that's working properly and it's not covered, but then it gets to the bottom and it just sits there. So you, you won't know until you get a probe and push down in there. If it's really muddy at the bottom, again, water and way too much. Okay, if it's dry at the bottom, then you're, you have really good drainage and you're, you're not watering enough frequently. You don't need 60 gallons, but you need to increase the frequency. Now, here's the kicker. We just, we're changing weather since you planted it quickly. So again, you'd probably be more like 12 gallons per watering, 12 to 15 gallons, maybe not 20. Um, but again, you're going to want to decrease the frequency as these nights get cooler and cooler and just use a moisture probe from now here on out and check that. And I think your tree will be okay if you make those adjustments. That tree probe, soil probe, I actually bought one that specifically said on it as a tool, tree probe or soil probe. Right. I keep saying tree probe. But it's for yeah, you can order one trees. online, yeah. Um, that makes a big difference. Huge then, difference, yeah. You know, in the past, a, a flathead screwdriver that was sure. about that I used eight, growing so, up. Yeah, you know that this soil probe's four feet long, right. and right. it's amazing when we go. You know, for one or two trees, the the screwdriver was fine, but we've got fifty, and that's a that that adds a lot of time. It does, and remember that if you've got a twenty-four inch box, it's about two feet deep. You need something that goes at least two and a half feet deep so you can kind of push it. Let's all of them have a foot peg on it. You can push down, get some more leverage, get it down in there. And again, you want to go not too close to the trunk. You want to be in the root ball. Maybe at the edge of the root ball would be great to do your soil probe. You know, right either just inside the root ball or right at the edge. Get it all the way down in there and check that. I think you'll be surprised. And the story that the soil will tell you when you're with that probe is pretty interesting. It is. Another point I want to make is the Fantex Act. Remember, young trees, they lose their leaves faster than a mature tree. So young trees or compromised trees lose their trees, lose their leaves first. So as these nights get cooler, you're not going to be able to tell much. That's why it's really important to check your moisture. It's not going to lead a lot of water as the leaves continue to drop. You don't want it soaking all the time. It will kill it. So, um, so check that out. But remember, you're not going to be able to tell about the health very much until next spring and early summer when it really starts picking up again because they are going to start looking yellow and dropping leaves, and that's just part of the process as well, the natural growing process. And then Super Thrive, the last thing. What, yeah. what is that? Yeah, and, you know, they were doing the same thing on the, the landscaper at the city park was pounding the Super Thrive or B, it's, you know, the B vitamins, it's the transplant mm. stuff, Super Thrive, and they were, they were putting it in. I actually they got him on the phone, and they told me how much they were giving the Super Thrive. And I said, really, I believe that's only one quarter teaspoon per gallon. And you really only do it once, maybe when you transplant the tree. And it's not something you keep putting on the tree. Is it toxic? Probably most of the time, no. But anything can be toxic if it's used improperly. I mean, it comes, you know, usually in a bottle for you to dilute that. And uh, so anything like that is really not good. It doesn't need much other than maybe one time and or for a stress tree one time. And you do see that nurseries pushing that bee. 
It's, I, it is. It's really good. It's amazing. You know, it helps with transplant shock, especially in the summer and things like that. But if it's used properly, you got to follow directions. And that, a lot of people think more is good or whatever. I don't know how much they're putting on, but I'd be real careful with that. On our Talking Trees points, you had mentioned fertilizing earlier, and I did a little <laughs> bit uh, for our citrus. That's something that until John came along, I'd never seen four times a year. It was always the Valentine's Day, Labor Day, and Memorial Day. Uh, John's calendar has four fertilizers. He likes to, to, to hit it a fourth time. He does, yeah. And, uh, well, it was just f- four is, is uh, because of our growing season here. So a lot of times we have this extended growing season because we have really mild winters. So four actually works a lot of times. Now, uh, as part of the Save-A-Tree organization, which is amazing, we have national uh, uh, people that work nationally for all the latest and greatest technology on plant health care. And we work hand in hand with them, and we have our all our new programs are formulated on a three cycle system, kind of more like the old school system. And so now we're back to the again early, mid, and late season. But uh, you know, avid gardeners, depending on the weather and what's going on, certainly doesn't hurt to put something else on. As again, as long as you're following the directions. And again, in our late season fertilizer, what you know, it's all formulated specifically so we we re- start reducing the nitrogen in the later the season because we don't need a lot of uh, material to green up the foliage or cause you know help with new growth and things like that. So you're lowering the nitrogen as the year goes on in that late season, usually depending on the situation and what tree type and what we're treating. But the nitrogen's reduced and other things are increased, like your phosphorus and potassium that help with the roots. Because those roots, even though uh, you know, the, a, a deciduous tree might be... Dormant. Dormant. Those right, roots are right. still active. Right. And uh, on citrus, this is actually when we get most of our fruit production in the winter. Yeah, and you know, and I'm glad you brought that up again because I forgot to mention that that um, you know, be careful on your pruning. When we were talking about that earlier, again, but it, but it's still very important to prune because when that fruit comes on, you know, this week I was a few jobs. That fruit comes on; those branches get really heavy, and they notoriously break off when they get too heavy, and that causes. We always want to prune, not allow things to break. Clean cut. You know, so we limit the amount of decay that goes on. So, yeah, there's a lot of fruiting going on, and it helps with that, of course, as well. It takes a lot of energy for anything to bloom and fruit. It takes, you know, again, just like an athlete who's training, they need more vitamins and minerals. It's the same for a tree. When they're really stressed, you you do need more. Our One of our lemon trees looks like a weeping willow, and one of my to-dos this weekend is go take about— 15% of the fruit and I yes. just drop it on the ground yes. and let it fertilize back in and um you, if you know, don't have rodents but if you have a lot of rodents there's yeah. a lot of desert rats and they'll love that they'll bring so yeah I'd be careful with that or cultivate it in you know <laughs> smash them up and cultivate it in yeah I don't have time for smashing them in yeah. on <laughs> on our tree but we we do we just let the the fruit drop go and we've got uh, a couple cats that do great with rodent control and uh but but just the the amount of fruit that it puts on is is incredible. Oh yeah, again I, I was at a couple this week where I said you know, ma'am you know we, I know you want to wait but I w- I just it's not a nothing about sales, your tree's gonna break 
you know, you need to, if you don't have us do it or somebody do it, you need to come out and do it, you know, and show to where you can cut back to little laterals and get some of that weight off. Or like you said, pick a lot of fruit or even early. You don't need all that fruit usually. So you, even if you thin the fruit out, it's kind of healthy for the tree. If you've got a, a, a big crop, you can thin some of it out and more nutrients will go to what's left. And what I love about citrus is it'll stay ripe on the tree for a long period of time. You know, when you're coming to uh, our, you know, our peaches, we got a, a real short harvest time yes, there. Yes. But citrus, man, go pick four or five off and squeeze it for the morning orange juice or grapefruit. You know, you just, as you consume it, you're you're picking it because it's, I mean, two, three, four months sometimes it'll stay ripe on the tree. And I, and I learned many years ago, I think it was from Glenn Wright uh, from U of A Extension. He's a, has amazing uh, uh information on citrus you can look that up if you want to learn a lot more look up U of A I think it's Glenn Wright and uh, he puts out a bunch of fact sheets and things like that but citrus doesn't have to be the perfect color to be ripe so you just need to check it Talking trees, and Abel wants to know about a thundercloud purple leaf plum. Have you ever heard of such a thing? You know, I, I know the purple leaf plum very well. There's different cultivars. I honestly haven't heard of thundercloud, but it may be very common, but I just haven't heard it called that. But the, the common purple leaf plum, great tree. Just what a great ornamental tree for your yard. A big leaf drop one time uh, for the people that don't like leaf drop, but, it, you know, it does boom, have a big leaf drop in the winter. But it has the great color, too. And that's one more thing I wanted to mention is that this is a great time where you're going to start seeing a, a, the little bit of trees that do color and change orange, fall, yellow colors like the pistache. Uh, some people have some sycamore. And, of course, the the purple plum. It's amazing purple color in the fall. Yeah, so. And you said ornamental, and that was one of Abel's questions. Is it edible? You know, you it, it may be edible. I mean, if you look it up, it'll say it's. Uh, you, you can consume it like a lot of things. Is it tasty? Um, I don't. <laughs> I don't think so. Not from what I've heard. Um, I haven't tried it myself, but I, I haven't heard of uh, many people harvesting. But again, something great. You can look up uh, more information on the internet. Maybe there's people that have certain harvesting uh, ways to do that and um, and make it more edible or to prepare it and make it edible. Like a sour orange, you know, a lot of people don't like it, but there's great recipes for sour orange. Some people actually, now we know there's uh, people working to gather all the sour oranges because from other countries they are used quite a bit in cooking so again the plump maybe there's some some cooking or things you can do with it and they want to know how often to water for everyone with watering questions you just got to download watering by the numbers or get a pamphlet at a nursery it's a free publication that uh, uh, amwa puts out and it tells you how to you know discover what type of soil you have, and that really determines a, a big part of your watering. Exactly. What is your drainage? You know, it's way different from the Southeast Valley to Cave Creek, you know, these old farmlands, you know, with the hard clay soils and, and um, even the toxic salts that are in them sometimes, you know. Some soils are so full of chemicals that you're actually better off watering, you know, shallower and more frequently because as you uh, release the water, uh, the salt's 
you know, get on the roots and they, they connect, they, they stay on the roots and actually pulls water back out of the plant. So yeah, soil test or knowing your drainage and knowing your soil type, you know, general rule of thumb is you're watering a lot in the summer. As the fall comes, you want to start reducing that, you know, probably by 30%. And then in the dead of winter, you want to decrease it at least by 50%, if not more. And an interesting thing when you're talking about watering and salts, and one thing that they're trying to do for water conservation is, uh, you know, figuring out how to affordably remove that salt before watering. 40% of the irrigation on lettuce is just to leach out yes. salt. And if you yes. want to look at how much lettuce Arizona, biggest lettuce producer in the world in the in January, and they're at the bottom of the Colorado River supply. So if, if they could cut 40% of their water consumption affordably, that I mean, that's millions of acres, square feet of water. So Absolutely. It's you rain, rain, rain. The only difference here is the why pH is so high is because we don't get as much rain and, and the chemicals. Yeah. So. Well, Marcy's in Apache Junction wants to talk about her palm tree. Good morning and welcome to the broadcast. Thank you. I have a very large, um, I think it's a windmill palm. It's taller than our house and bigger around than we can reach. And it um, has been, it was trimmed in August. And all of a sudden, right after it was trimmed, the the existing fronds just died. Turned brown, laid down, they're, they're just dead. It had a new growth coming out of the center and then within a couple of, about a week and a half, that died also. It's just the same color as the fronds. Now it's seeping a substance from about a third of the way up the trunk. Not a whole lot, but it is seeping something. And I don't know what to do with it. I don't want to lose it. Yeah, you really should have an arborist come out and assess that because those also can become hazardous pretty quickly as they die back like that. It does happen. A lot of times, you know, Mm -hmm. people come out and use uh, spikes that are infected with uh, disease that carry that from one to the other tree. And there are some uh, fungal diseases that attack the palms and will kill them very Mm -hmm. quickly, just like other uh, plants and trees, but it could be tested. Again, if if it dies very quickly and very heavily, it's probably not coming back. Palms are a monocot, so... Um, that, that vascular bundles grow up and kind of once that apical meristem is really damaged, it's hard for them to recover. Um, so, yeah, you need to have somebody come out and assess that. But, it, yeah, it's not good, and usually those do usually do not recover. There's always anomalies, so you need to start looking at getting that probably removed. But, again, have somebody come out and take a closer look. And uh, historically in the past, John would always send East Valley over to Andy Young. Did you did you ever meet Andy? Yeah, yeah. Is this East Valley? Yeah, yeah. It's East she, Valley. Apache yeah. Junction. Oh yeah, yep. So uh, there we've Tree got Amigos. A, Tree Amigos. Andy Young. He actually got yep. his training and from John at iTree Service right. before he broke out on his own. And you can find him at rosieonthehouse.com if you're looking for a Far East Valley arborist. Andy's a great resource for you. And Save a Tree, y'all uh, cover what part? We cover, you know, we're kind of valley-wide depending on the job. But but again, some things that are way, way out there, um, the minimums are, are, are a lot higher because of the travel time. So we really cover uh, all the cities, in, but more in the central areas, you know, where they kind of meet up. So Tempe, uh, you know, Tempe, North uh, or North Gilbert, uh, Mesa, uh, Phoenix, um, Peoria, Goodyear, you know, all the way up North Phoenix, Scottsdale, a lot of work in Scottsdale. So just a little more centralized. Integrity Save a Tree. The website is Save a Tree, no E, 
S-A-V-A-T-R-E-E.com. Correct. <laughs> Steve, thanks for spending your Saturday morning here with us, talking trees. My pleasure. Love to be here. Thanks for having me.